Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went in to her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Naomi was Ruth's uh, mother-in-law, and I'll, I'll get to that in a moment, but the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name, they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David." Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. I want to minister from that passage and a few others that we'll get to in a moment. From, from this thought, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. Why don't you turn to somebody next to you and just tell them, welcome to the family. Turn to three people and tell them, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family as you're being seated. Welcome to the family. Ruth's story actually begins with someone else's story. Isn't that just the way it works? I think all of us in this room could probably point to our life and maybe even your relationship with God, and you would say that my story actually started with someone else's story. And that's the way Ruth is. Ruth's story actually doesn't begin with Ruth. Ruth's story starts off as a story about Naomi. Naomi was a lady. She was married to a man. They, they lived in Israel, and the times were very, very tough. And so they moved uh, in order to find food, to find work. Uh, to just survive, they felt, they moved away from Israel to a place called Moab. And when they moved there, they took their two sons with them. They uprooted the whole family, and they went there. And during their time in Moab, Naomi's family uh, saw tragedy come their way because Naomi's husband passed away. And then uh, even after they had both taken wives, uh, her sons had married, but then her sons had passed away. And her, her sons had married these two Moabite ladies. One of them was Ruth, and one of them was named Orpah. And so it was just Naomi and the girls. It was Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah that were left. All the men had passed away for various reasons, and now they're in this country uh, called Moab, and they're left with decisions to make. And Naomi decides that it's time for her to relocate back home, to go back to Bethlehem, to go back to Israel, to the place of her origin. And so she makes this decision, and she announces it to her daughters-in-law, and Ruth and Naomi are then, uh, Ruth and Orpah are then faced with a, a decision to make. They, they've married into this family, but tragedies happen, and they're almost, they're, they're released to kind of go their own way. They can make their decision. Do I want to stay in Moab, which is where I'm from, or do I want to stay attached to Naomi and move to Israel and, and uproot and, and take on a new identity and a new life? 
And if you read the early chapters of the book of Ruth, you'll find that they made different decisions. Orpah decided that it was in her best interest to remain in Moab, and Ruth decided uh, in an act of tremendous faith to leave everything that she had known before and to go with Naomi and say, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. A tremendous act of faith. And so she attaches herself to Naomi, and they head off into Israel to begin what was for Ruth a brand new life. And Ruth enters this new territory. She's a young Moabite woman. She's a widow at this point. And she had married into this family who had relocated to Moab from Israel, and now they're relocating back to Israel. She didn't know anything about the territory. She didn't know anything about the practices. She didn't know anything about the people. And that's Ruth's story. And it begins with Naomi. And, and Ruth goes to this place, and she's, she's being welcomed into this new family, this new way of living. And that's where God found Ruth, and, and that's how Ruth's story begins. Every single one of us in the room today has one of those how God found me stories. We've all got an origin story. It might not look exactly like Ruth's, but we've all got a, a, a story that God is unfolding and working out in our life. And the book of Ezekiel, there's a prophecy, and it's a warning passage about, about Israel, and you could read the whole chapter and get the full picture. But it, there's, there's a section of Ezekiel chapter 16 that tells exactly what happens. It just paints the picture for us of what happens when God finds us. Here's what the word of the Lord says. I'm going to read a few excerpts just to kind of give us a clear picture of how exactly this works when God finds us. Ezekiel chapter 16 says this, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite. Your mother was a Hittite. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord wasn't cut. You weren't washed with water to cleanse you. You weren't rubbed down with salt. You weren't wrapped up in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you. No one had anything for you to do any of the things that out of compassion people typically do for a newborn. But you were cast out in an open field, God said, and you were hated on the day that you were born. And when I passed by, I saw you wallowing there. And I said to you, I said to your blood, live. And I said to you, live. And I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And it says, I covered your nakedness, and I made my promise to you, and I entered into covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. That's how God finds us. God finds us in a place where we can't help ourselves, where we're helpless. We don't have a story to tell. We don't have anything to point at that we're necessarily super proud of. And he says, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to speak life over you, and I'm going to elevate you out of the place that I found you in. And he says, I bathed you with water, and I washed off the dirtiness off of you, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth, and I shod you with fine leather, and I wrapped you in fine linen, and I covered you with silk, and you grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced even to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. This is a process that God does in the life of every person that will respond to him in faith. It's a process that the New Testament has a word for, and that word is adoption. Adoption 
is when you are welcomed into the family. Naomi had married into the family, and that's a whole other message for another time. But there came a point through a series of events in Naomi's life where she had another decision to make, and she had to decide whether she was, in a sense, going to become adopted into the family of Naomi, into the culture that Naomi was going to go back to. Adoption is a legal action. It's connected to what the New Testament calls the doctrine of justification. It's where God legally declares you righteous. You're legally declared a member of God's family. Like Ruth, you get added to the family tree of God when God performs an act of adoption, when he, say, when he speaks justification over you, and he says, I see the condition that you're in, but I'm going to speak life and better things over you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the doctrine that I'm talking about this morning. It's called adoption. It's called he finds us where we are, and he's not content to leave us that way. The wonder of adoption. What a high relationship that God would say to you, welcome to the family. Brother Dustin, how does this happen? And I'm glad, I'm glad that maybe you're thinking that this morning. We've, we've almost got a fixation with, with how. God is, is, is all the time declaring things and, and, and saying how things are going to happen and, and, and that things are going to happen. He doesn't necessarily uh, tell us how all the time, but he's declaring that it is going to happen. And our human response a lot of times is how. You see, when, you see in, in Matthew where the angel comes and tells Mary that she's going to bear a child and she's going to call his name Jesus. And what's Mary's question? She says, how is this going to be? How is this going to be? And the angel of God has to describe to her and say, it's the Holy Spirit of God is going to overshadow you and there's going to be a plan. And, and he starts to, and it's just a human response that we have to ask how. How is this going to happen? Brother Dustin, I, I hear you, and I see in Ruth's story, and I see in the New Testament, you've already brought up about how God wants to adopt us and welcome us into his family. But Brother Dustin, how does it even happen? God is always declaring that something is going to happen, and we are all the time asking how. And I, I want you to know this morning, we're not talking about something in the natural. We can go down to the courthouse or just some office and we can talk about in a natural sense how the process of adoption would take place and there would be people that would be able to guide us along a path of legally how that would happen in our country. But we're talking about a spiritual event today. We're talking about something that happens spiritually. We see it unfolded. We see this, this, this distinction made in a chapter in, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 3. John chapter 3 has a story about in the middle of Jesus' ministry, there was a man who came to see Jesus at nighttime, and his name was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a high ruler of the Jews. He was, he was an important, uh, elevated person, and he was like a doctor of the law. He, 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 was, he was a respected person. He came to Jesus by night, presumably because he didn't want anyone else to see that he was going to have an interaction with Jesus. And he goes and he starts to ask Jesus, and he says, Jesus, there's so many things that you're doing. It's undeniable that you're from God. It's undeniable that everything you're doing is of God. 
Explain to me more about your message. And Jesus says, I say unto you, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus started to scratch his head, and he started to ask the same question that we're talking about right now. He says, how does this happen? What's, what, what's Jesus talking about? He says, can, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus explains to him, he says, you have to be born of the water and of the spirit. It's, it's about something spiritual. It's not a natural event we're talking. There's natural components to it. There's a natural response to it that we have to actually do in our bodies, but there is a spiritual event that happens in our life. There's something supernatural that starts to transpire whenever we act in faith. Amen. Nicodemus got a revelation that day. He started to understand that what Jesus was teaching was more than anything else. It was a spiritual thing. Jesus was there with a spiritual message because he was a spiritual man. Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a, a, an engaging teacher. As many would try to label him, he is God manifest in the flesh. He is completely God and completely man at the same time. Amen? And because of his status, because of how he's made up, and because he lived a perfect sinless, totally obedient human life. He was the perfect candidate to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. That's why when we sing about the blood, there's something that starts to happen spiritually whenever we start to sing and worship Jesus and remember what he did at Calvary because he's the only one that's ever been qualified, that's ever been equipped to do what needed to happen at Calvary. He was fully God and fully man. He was, he was presented with opportunities to sin. He was tempted in all ways that we are, yet he was without sin. He was completely innocent. You know, there's a difference between being declared not guilty and being declared innocent. Jesus was not only not guilty, Jesus was innocent. He was pure. And because of that, he was perfectly positioned to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin, something spiritual was taking place. And it's in what he did, in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that our plan of salvation is modeled after. When we're called to look at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we're called to follow in his footsteps. That's the message that the apostles preached to the church that was being born in Acts chapter 2. It was the very same message that Jesus was beginning to explain to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Simon Peter and the apostles picked it up in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, and he said, repent, that's the death, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. That's the burial. And he says, when you do this, you will be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the resurrection. You see, there's a, a direct correlation between what Jesus did and what he wants to do in your life. You're asking this morning, Brother Dustin, how can I be welcomed into the family of God? How can I experience this act of adoption that Jesus spiritually, supernaturally wants to perform in my life? All it takes today is an act of faith and a recognition that God has a plan of salvation for my life, that there's a work that God wants to do, that I've just got 
got to follow in his footsteps and experience like him a spiritual death, a spiritual burial, and a spiritual resurrection. I believe it's for everybody. It's for everybody. Listen, it's Generation Sunday today. It doesn't matter what generation you're a part of. The, the, the book of Acts and Simon Peter goes on to say, he says, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to your children's children and to all generations. And no matter where you're from, no matter what generation you're a part of, it's for you. It's for you. There's no expiration date. There's no tag, no price tag. There's no parameters that you have to fall in. You just have to look at Jesus in faith and say, you know what, Peter, you, the message you preached on the day of Pentecost that Jesus is the Messiah of God, I believe it. I see it in faith, and I need to know what to do about it. I need to know the how. I want to take a step forward in faith. I want to get into alignment with God. When we're adopted, when we're adopted, there's, a, there's some overlap between what happens in the natural and what happens in the spiritual, amen? When there's an adoption that takes place, there's a name change that happens. Every family, every family in this room has a name that identifies them. When you're born into the family of God, there is a name. There's a name. There's, when God welcomes us into the family, it's just like, in a sense, it's, it's almost like any other family in the sense that there's a name. That shouldn't surprise us. There's power in a name. And when you're entered into the family of God, there's a name, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. And what we believe the New Testament bears out to us and commands us, that it's not just descriptive, but it's prescriptive. It's the way they were baptized in the New Testament time and time and time again, is that they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. There's power in that name. And it is applied where you get the name, it's when you are baptized in the name of Jesus. Why the name of Jesus? Because names are important. And the name of Jesus means God saves. And that's the work in baptism, in the new birth, that he's doing in your life. Jesus says you must be born again. You must be born of the water and of the spirit. He's talking about salvation there. He's talking about entering into the kingdom, the family of God. And whenever we, whenever we act in faith and we step into that plan, there's a name that gets applied to your life, and there's an identity change that happens. What good would it be if God did a work of salvation in your life and left you the same way that he found you? That's not the way God works. Look at the prophet Ezekiel that we read together. God is not content to find you and for you to acknowledge that you need something to happen in your life and leave you where you are. God performs an identity change. He gives you his own name in water baptism because it was his human blood that was shed for your sin. So in a sense, you might even say, if you want to really stretch the metaphor this morning. You might even say that every member of God's family is a blood relative. 
Because when the name is applied, is called over you in water baptism, it activates the blood of Calvary and the blood, the sacrifice at Calvary becomes effectual for you in that moment. And your sins are covered and washed away and sent into remission. There's something I'm talking about. There's something spiritual that happened. It's powerful. We're going to have a time of repentance here in a minute, but let me make a distinction right now. There's something absolutely powerful that happens when we repent of our sins. We can't skip repenting our sins. We have to repent of our sins, and the Bible declares that if we will repent and ask God for forgiveness for our sins, he is willing to forgive us every single time. We can't skip it. But we also cannot confuse ourselves and think that that repentance and forgiveness is simply where it stops. It's not that God... Let Let me just... If you can remember, if you've got Ezekiel 16, you can, you can fact check me right now. Ezekiel chapter 16, what's the picture painted of? He says, I found you and I washed you off. I washed you off. But then what's he do? He clothes us. He's not content in repentance just to scrub you off and, and start to wash you up and clean you up a little bit and, and, and kind of set you up and just say, well, you're better than, you're better than you were 10 minutes ago. Don't you just feel better? A little bit, and you probably do, but God doesn't do things halfway. God wants to give you a new name. He wants to clothe you with righteousness. He wants to put something on you, and when you get the name of Jesus applied to you in water baptism, no longer do you have to worry. You shouldn't have to worry about, am I ever going to go back to the way things were? But there's something new that happens because it puts, it puts your past into remission. It puts your past into remission. When God says, welcome to the family. That's not all. God does a work at an even deeper level. There's a legal action that happens when you're adopted and justified, but it leads to a work of being sanctified. Sanctified is to be made holy. It means you're changed. It means you're changed not just on the outside, but you're changed on the inside. If justification and adoption is when God declares that you are, even though by all accounts you're not, God sovereignly declares that you are, if that's what happens when we're adopted and justified, then sanctification, this work that he's leading us into, is when God does the long-term work and the process of making you into what he has already declared you to be. It's essential that we understand that there is more work that God wants to do. God doesn't do surface-level work. God doesn't just, he doesn't just scribble your name on an adoption paper and then send you off to live into the street. But he brings you into his home, and he starts to teach us how to live. There's, a, there's not just a name change. There's a nature change. There's a nature change that happens. Galatians chapter 5 tells us in in a snapshot what that kind of looks like. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see the difference there? If we live in the, Brother Dustin, isn't living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit the same thing? 
I would say not. Paul's not wasting words here when he writes that. He's saying, after you've been born again of the water and of the Spirit, when you've been baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and he fills you with the gift of God's Spirit, you can be in the Spirit, but you then have to start walking in the Spirit. There's not just a name change that happens, but there's a nature change that God wants to do. And here's what starts to happen. If we're going to use the family metaphor today, you start to resemble your heavenly Father. You start to take on his characteristics instead of whatever junk you've had to carry around and whatever nonsense has attached itself to you. You start to put those things into remission and there's something, there's a new resemblance that comes upon you because you're a member of a new family and you don't have to behave the way that your past says that you have to behave, but there's a new way of living that God starts to unfold in your life. There's family characteristics that you start to display and it is a powerful work of the Holy Ghost that God wants to do in each and every person's life. The musicians would come. Jesus said that I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I hope this morning that you're catching a vision of the life, the abundant life, that Jesus offers to every single person. This is a promise for you today. You don't have to be bound by fear. You don't have to be enslaved by sin. The way forward today is a new family and a new start. Ruth, you may have started off as a Moabite in a far-off country outside of the parameters of God's redemptive plan for the world. But Ruth, when you decided to follow Naomi and to go live in Israel and make that declaration of faith, where you go, I will go. What God's word says for my life, I'm going to get into alignment. That would be the equivalent for us today. Can I make that equivalency today? That if we, want, if we were going to take a step of faith like Ruth did, where she said to Naomi, Naomi, where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. If we wanted to take a similar action of faith today, we would say to ourselves, it doesn't matter what my past is like. It doesn't matter what my preferences are. Whatever God's word says, where it takes me, I will follow. What it prescribes for me, that's what I'm going to act upon. I'm going to get in alignment with it. I'm going to allow it to be the final authority for who I am and what I'm going to be. I'm going to place all my past, present, and future into the hands of God. And when Ruth decided that she was going to go and follow Naomi, she legally became a citizen of that new place and that new people. And here's maybe the most attractive part of everything that God wants to do when he welcomes us into his family. That when we are born again of the water and of the Spirit, we're entering into a covenant with God. The shorthand way that you'll hear us talk about it a lot is we'll call it the new birth experience. Because it's an experience. It's not just a doctrine. It's an experience. We repent of our sins. We're baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of our sins. And we're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Just like adoption. Just like adoption, 
it legally cuts ties with your past. That's maybe the most attractive thing of, of the, whole, the whole deal is that God is offering a deal. He's offering something to us that's going to allow us to cut ties with everything we've been before and all the mistakes we've ever made and all the identities we've ever worn. And he's willing to position us for a future that we never even imagined was possible. It hasn't even entered our imagination how much God wants to bless you. It hasn't even entered your imagination yet today, the plans that God has for your family and what he wants to do and how he wants to bless you and the person that he would have you to be. Maybe you've caught a tiny glimpse of it, but there's, I'm here to tell you in faith today in the Holy Ghost, there's so much more. There's so much more. I know that because I look at a story of a young woman named Ruth. She was a young Moabite woman. We don't know anything about her background. We just know she married into this family. Tragedy struck. There was a past. There was baggage. There was some even stuff in the near to, inter, to near, few, near past that hadn't even, the dust hadn't maybe really even settled. There was pain and there was hurts and there was things that were currently ongoing in her life that maybe she hadn't even resolved all of the trauma and all of the pain and the brokenness that went along. Maybe she still had some of the customs of her home country of Moab that were built into her life that weren't exactly what she needed to be doing, but it was all she'd ever known. There's a lot of that that was still going on in Ruth's life. And I get the sense that there's probably a lot of that going on in the room right now. But I look at a story about a young woman named Ruth who decided in faith that I'm going to get into alignment with the plan of God, that God, I see something special that I want to be a part of, and I want to see how I can make my way into this family. And the story goes, the very last scriptures in the book of Ruth, she married a man named Boaz. Boaz and her had a son, and their son's name was Obed. And as time went on, you read the genealogy and you find out that Obed had a son named Jesse. And go one generation further, you find out that Jesse had a son, David. King David. Ruth, this little Moabite girl, who didn't have anything except a belief that there is a God and I want to know who he is and I want to be a part of what he's doing. Ended up being the great-grandmother of King David. Brothers and sisters, she didn't have any business being in that family tree. No business whatsoever. But God, in his mercy and his sovereign grace and his plan, adopted her in and gave her the gift of a future that she'd never imagined was ever possible. Can you imagine being Ruth, looking down from heaven, if we're able to even do that? Looking down at the affairs that are going on on earth and the, inner, the happenings of earth just a couple generations after her lifetime and seeing that her great-grandson is seated on the throne of Israel. How powerful. Everything that God wants to do in your life may not be about you.
There's blessings and benefits to living for God. And I believe that you'll take a step of faith today and you'll get into a line. You'll take, you'll take seriously the message this morning that there'll be, a, there'll be rivers of living water that start to flow out of your life. But it's going to flow from your life. But what's it going to flow to? You're probably seated around them right now. There's probably some of them that aren't here, but there's people in your life, there's generations, there's family members, there's people in your life that God is writing their story to, and it might just begin with, I think there's a Ruth in the building right now. I just think there's a Ruth today. Can we stand to our feet right now? We all have a God, how God found me story, and I think there's a Ruth in the house today that's saying, I'm ready to move out of Moab. Has anybody got that in their spirit right now? I'm ready to move out of Moab. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to repent.